Did you know that you can find just about all of our podcast episodes? We've done more than 50 now. On our website, just go to gangrythepodcast.com and you can listen to interviews with amazing writers and reporters like David Grant, Tom Juneau, Catherine Miles, Lane DeGregory, Christopher Gofford, and so many more. Just go to gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. On this episode, I talk with Stephen Roderick. Roderick writes for several magazines, including Rolling Stone and Esquire. In the third week of June, both of those magazines published profiles of two very different celebrities that Roderick wrote. Esquire published Roderick's piece on Taylor Sheridan, a writer and actor who is reinventing American Western storytelling through his movies Sicario and Hell or High Water on June 19th. Then, two days later, Rolling Stone published his fascinating profile of Johnny Depp. The title of that piece is The Trouble with Johnny Depp. That piece got all of the attention because Roderick spent a sometimes sad, sometimes fun, sometimes weird 72 hours with the man who has played everyone from Willy Wonka to Jack Sparrow. It also chronicled the troubles that Depp has been facing, troubles that are primarily financial, despite the amount of money he has made in his illustrious career. I did enough so that I would be conversant in what we were talking about, but um, without kind of giving it away, you know, I learned stuff uh, when I was with him that made me look in different places for other stuff, and um, it kind of, you know, it was just like peeling an onion after that. Roderick was on Gangry the Podcast back in February of 2013 when he talked about his story, The Misfits, which was about the filming of the movie The Canyons and what happened when Lindsay Lohan was cast in it. He's written for a number of big-time magazines like Rolling Stone, Esquire, GQ, Men's Journal, The New York Times Magazine, and New York. As usual, we've linked to a lot of Roderick's stories on our website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Welcome back to Gangry the Podcast, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, you had a, a pretty busy week last week. Um, what with the the Johnny Depp profile dropping in Rolling Stone, and the Taylor Sheridan profile running in Esquire, all right around the same time. Yeah, that's uh, I kind kind of feel like that's the. Uh life of a magazine writer where it looks like you're doing nothing for five months and then for about four days it looks like you're incredibly industrious. <laughs> then there's three three or four more months of silence. Right, 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 right. Uh, well, I want to uh, start things off uh, on the show um, talking about the Johnny Depp piece and, then, and we'll talk about the Taylor Sheridan uh, sure. piece here later in the show for sure. Um, uh, but I was hoping we could start things off by, by you reading that introductory section or, or basically what amounts to the lead uh, yeah. on, on the Johnny Depp piece. Sure, um, I'll just start. Okay, let's see here. Okay, um, Johnny Depp isn't here yet. Still, his presence is all around the 10,500-square-foot rented mansion at 16 Bishopwood Road in London's Highgate neighborhood. He's here in the busy hands of Russell, his personal chef, working up the Peking Duck. He's here in the stogie-sized joint left by the sink in the, in the guest bathroom. 
He's here in the never-ending reservoir of wine that is poured into goblets. And he's here in a half-done painting upstairs that features a burning black house, a child Johnny, and an angry woman who resembles his mother, Betty Sue. And then he is actually here. He's in the living room crooning his entrance. Oh, my darling, oh, my darling, my darling Clementine, you are lost and gone forever, my darling Clementine. Depp has come from a photo shoot for the Hollywood Vampires of Sometime Band that features Alice Cooper and Joe Perry. Trailing behind is his lawyer, Adam Waldman. Depp is dressed like a 40s gangster, jet black hair, slick back, pinstripes, suspenders, and spats. His face is puffy, but he still possesses the fixating brown eyes that have toggled between dreamy and menacing during his 35-year career. Now, Depp's studious leer is re reminiscent of late-era Marlon Brando. This isn't a coincidence, since Depp has long built his life by imitating his legends, buying an island like Brando, becoming an expert in quaaludes like Hunter S. Thompson. Hey, I'm Johnny. Good to meet you. He reaches out a right hand whose fingers recently had their tats changed from Slim, a reference to his ex-wife Amber Heard, to Scum. So are you here to hear the, are you, so are you here to hear the truth, asks Depp, as Russell brings him a glass of vintage red wine? It's full of betrayal. We move to the dining room for a three-course meal of pad thai, duck, and gingerbread with berry. Depp sits at the head of the table and motions towards some rolling papers and two equal piles of tobacco and hash and asks if I mind. I don't. He pauses for a second. Well, let's drink some wine first. This goes on for 72 hours. That's a really, um, I, I think, a wonderful way to, to start this story off. Um, and uh, especially that mention of the 72 hours. And, and perhaps we can talk a little bit about what, what that 72 hours was like for you as a reporter. Um, sure. But I'm curious, uh, before we get there, how did, how did this piece come about? I know you've written a lot of celebrity profiles um, when you were on the show all the way back in 2013, I think. Uh, it was because of the Lindsay Lohan piece. Um, right. How did this one come about? Uh, was it one that you had pitched or that, wrote, that Johnny Depp's people called in and say, hey... We need somebody, and then Rolling Stone reached out to you. Can you can you talk about how that how you ended up doing this? Well, you know, um, it, it kind of came about like a, a piece I wrote for Esquire a year or two ago about this uh, Seattle executive Dan Price, who kind of main claim to fame was raising everybody's salary to hundred thousand um, dollars. It was one of the they contacted or his lawyer contacted the magazine and contacted Jan Winter, the uh, owner. Um, and it was passed on to Jason Fine, who's the editor, and um, we started negotiating. I mean, um, you know, uh, Johnny, Johnny had just got divorced, and all these lawsuits had been filed against him, and that he'd filed at his business managers, so there was a lot going on, and um, yeah, it was one of the few times where I can remember my career where, where you know, the subject actually says, hey, you should write about me. And that sort of began a very long and, and torturous, probably six-week, you know, 150, 200 email exchange, phone calls, trying to set this up. And then I went out to see him. Yeah, that's kind of uh, kind of interesting, I think, uh, and then maybe a little ego boost to have somebody like Johnny Depp or at least Johnny Depp's people say, hey, we want Stephen Roderick. Well, I, I don't know if they specifically, I, I should clarify this, if I made that unclear. I'm not sure they, they specifically okay, asked I got me. You. I, I got had you. actually done a short piece on the Hollywood Vampire, so I think they knew my name. Right, um, right. At, uh, his lawyer probably knew my name from that, so 
So I'm not sure if it was specifically uh, we need this guy to do it, but uh, I guess I was kind of first in line and and jumped at it. Yeah, I'd still, I'd, I I would just go ahead and think, hey, they wanted me. So uh, <laughs> okay, all right, that's what we're going. With. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, you had mentioned uh, the 150 to 200 emails and the torturous process of of negotiating everything, um, and you know that's one thing that that I find interesting um, that. Happens not to that extent, obviously, when you're just doing regular feature stories for, for people. Um, sure. But obviously, as a reporter, I've never had to do anything like that. I'm curious, what is what what is going on in those emails and those discussions? And what are, what do you what is that process like? And what are you uh, trying to set up? Basically, trying to to find um, time that Johnny Depp, between his globe trotting, would be in one place for, you know, two, three, four days. And so it was a lot about just location, you know, where, where it was going to be, when it was going to happen. And, um, you know, his lawyer had, you know, a ton of background information about the lawsuits that he wanted me to read. And, um, you know, he, he, would, he, would, he would send that, them every couple of days and stuff like that. And it, just, it was just like, it, w- it would seem like we would get very close to it happening. And then, uh, you know, there'd be, we wouldn't hear anything for a few days and, and yeah, and then it, yeah, it just was a lot of stopping and starting and, and can you come this day? Well, how about this day? And let me ask Johnny about that. And it, it just was just something I think that just kind of, you know, just kind of goes on and on. And, um, you know, unlike the, the Lohan story where, um, I, I, I thought of as an idea, emailed my editor and then emailed Paul Schrader, director, and, and he said yes, all in the span of about an hour. Um, right. This was a much more time-consuming process, to to the point where I, I was just trying to, I was not even, uh, to a certain extent, you know, counting on it happening. And, um, you know, I think there got to be a point where Depp's lawyer was curious, you know, that I hadn't read every deposition and every court filing, and I, I was, I think I basically told him on the phone, well, you know, until I find out this is actually going to happen, I just don't want to invest, you know, dozens of hours going through this stuff unless the story's going to happen. And then, you know, once the story, it got on, you know, once we got day set up, then I went back and read everything. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, um, uh, because there is so much background reporting um, in this piece. It, it's structurally set up around those 72 hours uh, that you were in London uh, with Depp, but there is a ton of reporting um, uh, with regards to court transcripts and, and all that type of stuff uh, and, and other interviews with other people and that type of thing. Uh, did you do that before or after you got to, to London? Uh, a little bit of a little bit of both. I mean, I did enough... Um I did enough so that I would be conversant in what we were talking about, but um, without kind of giving it away, you know, I learned stuff uh, when I was with him that made me look in different places for other stuff, and um, it kind of, you know, it was just like peeling an onion after that, but, but I, you know, I'd, I'd done a fair amount and read, a, you know, some of the major kind of court stuff before I went there, and then once I got back and had a better sense of where he was coming from, I knew other places to look for stuff. Did um, did did his lawyer want you to be reading that court stuff, or were they hoping you wouldn't? Do you know? Um, no, I think they wanted me to read it. I mean, I, I think you know, 
I, I think, as happens in any of this stuff, you know, there was there was certain court documents they kept emphasizing that I should read, right, and other ones that they were saying was BS, and you know, <laughs> right, right, it's not sh- shocking that, you know, the ones they wanted me to read um, made him look good, and the ones that he said that that were nonsense, not true, were the ones that made him look bad. So, um, you know, you know, everybody, you know, it, it's just like anything. Everyone was playing an angle to the, you know, to what they thought would benefit themselves. Right. Right. Uh, before you got to London, did you have any idea at all what the time with Depp would be like? Um, specifically, like I'm thinking as like reporter slash or reporter subject relationship or, you know what I mean? Did you, did you have a guess of what it might be like? And, and did that? Well, I mean, we, we had it scheduled that I would spend parts of three days with him. I did not know until I got there the first night uh, that he was such a uh, nocturnal creature so that that most of the interaction would take place at nighttime. So, um, so I, I, you know, I had some rough idea, but I, I did not, you know, not in my kind of wildest dreams that I think, you know, each, each session would last, you know, from dusk to dawn, basically. There, <laughs> there's a line... Uh, the, I, the, one of the times when you say you need to go back to your hotel room to change clothes. Yeah. Uh, and, and basically it ends up coming down to the, that you need to change underwear. Yeah. And, and then you get that, that awesome, <laughs> that great line from Johnny Depp. Um, I, I, I just, I found that entirely fascinating for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those, it, one of those funny things where, where, um, you know, I did. I did need to go home, and you know, he was. You know, this was like I think after the second day, he, you know, he was going to sleep at I don't know six or seven o'clock in the morning, and I guess I could have just slept there, but I just like I, I wanted to go home, get some new clothes, and also just um, you know write down some thoughts uh, of what had happened in the previous twelve hours. So it, you know, it was good to get you know out of out of the out of the house for a few hours each day just to you know. To, to to clean my body and my mind. Right. Have you have you ever, uh, when you were reporting on 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 like a profile, spent the night at a person's house before? Yeah, a couple times. You know, if if somebody lived, um, kind of in a remote place, or uh, go go back to this Dan Price story I did um, uh, for Esquire two summers ago. Um, I, I stayed at his house a couple nights because he was you know, kind of having, um, you know, legal conferences at his house or, t- or talking about his case till very late at night and then getting up like at 6 a.m. to do it again. So I just, you know, it's like I was staying probably a half hour away and it's just like, okay, well, I'll just crash on the couch and um, that way I can be, you know, r- right here when the when the whole thing starts up again. Yeah, I can definitely see, though, how it could be beneficial also to get away and to collect your thoughts and, and, and uh, even write up a little bit of stuff. Uh, and uh, that's what you did with this one, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd either write notes or, or, or some of it might even just be like, uh, you know, I'd have to look back on the specific story, you know, just emailing my editor, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> this is what happened, you know, or, you know, just a, you know, a very kind of like rushed couple hundred words. Um, and, and, uh, the other thing that made me, I don't, I don't know if you, you want to say relaxed or not, um, but, uh, you know, I had a tape recorder running almost the whole time, mm. so which was uh, a bit of a nightmare 
um, by the end of it in terms of uh, then having to go through it. But uh, um, I, ju- I just like it, it, it. I like more to have that my is it works for me in terms of just being able to have a conversation with somebody and not be always jotting down notes to make them right. think, oh, why did he jot that down and not this thing down? So, um, uh, you know, let, let's just say by the time it was all transcribed, uh, it was more words than my book was, which was, I don't oh my know, God. <laughs> 120,000 words or something. I, right. I, I don't, you know, I know you're quoting me on this cause we're, we're on a podcast, right. but don't quote me on that exactly. But right. I mean, it was, a, it was, it was a, it was a big enough, you know, document that, uh, you know, and this might've been a problem with my Microsoft word, but, uh, I, I, I couldn't, once I combined them all, the uh, search capacity on the document was disabled. So, oh, gosh. <laughs> so I just split into like three separate documents so I could search for keywords. Right, right. Like uh, did you transcribe it yourself or did you have somebody do no, it? No, I, I transcribed, a little, descri- transcribed a, a little bit, but, um, you know, Rolling Stone was nice enough to have some interns work on it and then, you know, to, to use a transcribing service for, 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 for some of it. I mean... I literally might still be transcribing it if, right, right. If, if I had to do it myself. Right. I'm in the process of having all the podcast episodes transcribed. Um, and I'm not doing it myself because yeah. we're, we're 63 episodes now. And each one is coming out at like 16 pages, single spaced. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I would be doing this for the rest of my life. It's one of those things I wish I had started doing when I first started them. And then I got to episode 50 and I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm going to pay somebody. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people say, well, I, I like to transcribe because then it ma- makes me get back to the place that I was, um, you know, when I when I reported the story. And I, I, I agree with that to a certain extent, but I kind of be like, you know what, if someone else will transcribe it and I can just like listen to it again, you know what I mean? And just, right. as I'm reading through it, right. that gets me back to whatever the mood was. Right. Well, I mean, what was it? What were those 72 hours like? Um, you know, they're just, they were, I mean, I, I try, I hope, I tried to make it come across in the story. They were, you know, like, both kind of funny, sad, and crazy. And right. it would just kind of ricochet around from one to the other. And, um, you know, I've not heard from Depp, although I know his lawyer did not like the story. Um, um perhaps because he comes off worse than Johnny does in the right, story. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I tried to, you know, make him come across in the story as kind of, you know, human, a little bit nutty, a little bit funny, and but in a in a sad place right now. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's what the, the, the time with him was like. You know, it just... Um, it could be very funny at times, and other points he would just start talking about something, and you could tell that he was going to uh, a very kind of forlorn, dark place. Yeah, I think that comes across definitely in the story as well. Um, uh, when you left uh, left London, um, and we'll talk about actually when you left that, that mansion here in a bit, um, but when you left London, did you have an idea of exactly how you were, the story was going to be structured? Um, it, um, I mean, I, I think I knew that the only way to do it in terms of the time with him was to do it chronological, mm-hmm. you know, that there was, there was no, 
you know, uh, you know, I, I had there, there, there are not a lot of times where like the first 10 minutes you're working on the story or you're spending with somebody and the last 10 minutes are exactly the beginning and end of the piece. But I, I kind of knew that my first interaction with him would be the beginning. Mm-hmm. And when I said goodbye to him would be the end. So knowing that, I, I just you know knew that it would have to be chronological. I didn't know at that point how much of the court case we were going to get into or how much space we were going to have. So th- that kind of came later. But yeah, it was always going to be Okay, this happened on day one, this happened on day two, and this happened on day three. Mm-hmm. Right. How many words did the story end up coming in at? It's uh, somewhere around 10,000. I, right. I don't dare run a word count on it. Right. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I felt it, re- it reads fast, though. It, I, I, for some reason, it didn't feel like 10,000. Like some, Sometimes 10,000 words feel like 10,000 words. I know I've written a story that was 8,000 words that felt like 12,000 words. So sure. <laughs> uh, I didn't feel that well, way. So I think that's that. a good thing, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I think this is more a testament to the material than it was to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, you know, he said a lot of interesting, funny, out there things, and uh, you know, which kept propelling, you know, the story down down the road at uh, faster and faster speed. Right, right. Um, the ending is is a fantastic ending, um, uh, and I don't want to give it away completely. Um, but, uh, did you, like, you, you said you knew pretty much going in that, or early on that it was, the, the story is going to run chronologically. Yeah. Um, but the way you had to get off of his property, um, did, did in your mind where you, as you, as you were doing, I'm, I'm trying not to give it away. Um, yeah. did you, did you, um, as you were doing that, did you think, okay, this is totally has to be the end of the story? You know, you know it's funny and, uh, you know, this may sound silly or pretentious, but, uh, you know, I, I, I always see myself as a writer who's like a musician who can't read music, <laughs> right? kind of right. plays by feel. And I can't tell you if I thought right at that minute. Right. That was what it was going to be, but the first time I sat down and wrote it, I knew it was always going to be that. You know what I mean? It may, it right. may have kind of taking a, a few days or a week or two to kind of sub, subliminally work its way in. Um, but, you know, I, I think on some level I knew, you know, you know, it, that would be the ending, but it always was the ending once I, I started putting it down right. on my computer right. and it, it never varied. Did it, did much change in the story uh, between drafts? Um, you know, not not a, not a ton. I mean, um, we we kept getting more and more kind of court information, and that 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 stuff kind of was always evolving mm-hmm. um, as as we were doing revisions and stuff like that. So that that stuff, you know, kind of changed around and might move, you know you know, a couple paragraphs around here and there, but the narrative in terms of the three days um, pretty much stayed the same. I, I think what happened was I wrote it kind of straight through, and then um, I went back and read through all my notes again and just, you know, you know made a list of, like, you know, whatever, uh, 20 more... Uh, WTF moments that I forgot to right, put in, and then right. and I would 
then then like in the second second draft or whatever, you know, I kind of pigeonhole or you know, you know, pigeonhole them in or whatever you want to call it. But um, you know, it just was like putting whatever more more accessories onto the story. Right. Well, hey, we're going to take a, a quick break. Um, we'll return with more from Stephen Roderick in just one minute. This is Ganger the Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield University, which grounds students in the 500-year-old Jesuit tradition of academic rigor and personal reflection, while providing them with the critical skills needed to succeed in work and life. Students work with passionate faculty and have the chance to study abroad, participate in civic engagement, and conduct hands-on research across a variety of disciplines. And by the Department of English at Fairfield University, which is home to the digital journalism major, as well as an English major with concentrations in literature, creative writing, English studies, professional writing, and teacher education. For more information on the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of English, go to fairfield.edu. Welcome back to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis, and I'm talking with Stephen Roderick about his Johnny Depp profile that recently ran in Rolling Stone. Uh, Stephen, there have been a lot of people, or maybe not a lot of people, maybe they just seem like a lot of people, maybe some of them are bots um, on Twitter, who just didn't like the Johnny Depp story, um, uh, and who were saying various things like, he let you into his life, and then you ran him over with a bus, or or something to that effect. Um what 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 do you do as a writer when you when you see something like that? Um, you know, it, it didn't really. I mean, uh, you know, you, you don't like it when people are calling you names or anything like that. But it didn't really bother me because most of the people I heard back more like through email or you know posted stuff on their own liked it. I think that uh, Johnny Depp, like any famous person, has has his um, partisans, and I think you know there was a. He has a very, you know, he has a small but very vocal Twitter active partisans who, mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, whatever you want to say, came after me. But I, you know, my, my sort of take on that is, you know, not not so much bring it on, but you know, look, I wrote the piece. I I got to have my big say. If you want to come and and have your say, okay, but you should be aware that. Um, I may, you know, respond to you. And I right. think I think some of them were, like, you know, shocked and appalled that I would write them back and say, well, no. Like, you know, a couple of people of them were like, well, you know, I can't believe you mentioned his actual address and how dare you do that. And it's like, well, you know, it was a rented house that he'll never return to. Right. It was a house that he owned where, like, his kids lived. Obviously, we would not mention the address. And, um, you know, for the most part, I enjoy kind of that, Whatever you want to call it. banter is a uh, not the right word vitriolic banter let's call it that vitriolic banter um, and um, you know like I said this it's we live at least last time I checked uh, it's still in a fairly free society and if people want to you know say I suck and that I took advantage of him well I don't agree but right yeah that's that's your right to say that. I felt I felt the piece actually came off in some ways sympathetic to Depp. 
um, and, and, and in what has happened in his life. Uh, and I think, like, for me, the the places where he looked really bad were actually direct quotes out of his own mouth. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, like, I mean, I, when, when he talked about I, how much he spends on wine. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is not, this is not uh, you know, a deep thought, but uh, I, I try to make people come off as the humans that they are. And right, right. I think, um, you know, for the few people I have talked to who have spent a fair amount of time with him, that I was successful in that, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't proclaim to say that three days that I spent with him is representative of his whole life, but I do think it's a snapshot of where right. he is now. Right. And that's just what I try to do. And that's something about celebrity profiles. It seems, um, especially the type that you write, it, it's gotta be really hard to get past that veneer of celebrity. Uh, and try and also get past whatever brand they're trying to uh, maintain and actually get to, to see them. Um, do, do how do you, how do you do that? Well, I, I think it's you know to me it's not m- much different from reporting on, on 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 anything. I mean, first of all, and I have done a couple of these, but I, I try not to do a profile, whether if it's a politician or a movie star or a sports figure that's based on just like a two-hour encounter. Right. Like I said, I've done a few of those, and I d- d- just you feel like you're tap dancing for 4,000, 5,000 words. But it's just, you have to be persistent in terms of um, trying to get more time. And when, when you're with the person, you don't have to be charming or, or that interesting, but you have to be engaged with their work or who they are as a person and know... You know, I didn't see every Johnny Depp movie, but I knew enough about his films and his likes and dislikes that you know that we could talk about things and find some kind of common common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that that's just what it is, and then you just start with whatever the set time is, and if you know the person is game, you try to get some more time, and and you just you know <laughs> you push for as much time as you can until they finally say you know <laughs> no mas. Right. Right. Uh, let's transition into, into um, your your profile of uh, Taylor Sheridan, um, which also ran the same week. Um, and that ran in Esquire. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that story? Yeah, I mean, I I, I just um, that's one of my favorite pieces I've got to, I've got to do in the past few years. I just think he's a really smart and interesting man who's kind of at a interesting point in his career where he's uh, written screenplays for the Sicario movies and Wind River and Hell or High Water and is now, you know, uh, breaking out or trying to break out and do a 10-hour prestige television show on modern modern, modern ranching uh, called Yellowstone starring Kevin Costner. And, you know, he, he, here's a guy who had very little success in his life until his early 40s, and mm-hmm. I thought that was also really interesting and telling and has a you know, really kind of, you know, but both sad and touching backstory about his family having a ranch. You know, he, he writes mostly about Western themes and stuff like that, and his family had a ranch when he was a kid, and they lost it basically when his parents divorced, and that really hit him hard. And you can see that in all of his work, and I just thought, you know, yeah, here's this really smart guy who has, has kind of turned his demons into, you know, 
material and you know has risen above kind of whatever angst or, or chaos he, he had as a as a young man and has done at least in my opinion some really great work yeah i i, I read that that piece um uh today and it felt to me like uh and and also i mean part of the fact that they ran at the same time you could not pick you could not have a person who is more different i think than johnny depp yeah um yeah. Uh, and I imagine the reporting process um, was also incredibly different. So can you talk a, a little bit about um, how you reported that piece? Well, that piece was, I mean, I mean, different people, different, different surroundings, but it was basically, um, you know, parts of three days um, uh, where I spent a few, you know, a few hours each day with him and, he likes, or one of his passions is uh, he, he rides and he, he he participates in what what is known as cutting. It's basically when you're, you know, riding a quarter horse and you're trying to break a, a, a calf or something away from the herd, and uh, you know it's a it's a it's a cowboy thing, a cowboy competition, and did that with him one day, and you know watched the rough cut of his pilot another day. And then also just spent a lot of time just talking about stuff as we drove around mm-hmm. Utah where he lives. And, um, it's the same thing. It's just like, you know, uh, I was very interested in him and we had some great conversations, which to me is what leads to a great profile. Yeah. He seemed like a, a really, uh, um, interesting guy. I had actually never heard of him. Um, uh, partly probably because I only watch really crappy TV and movies. <laughs> um, but he came off as uh, very knowable uh, in some way, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that, you know, he's, he's got his flaws and foibles like all of us do, but I think his heart and his, you know, whatever his creative space is, is in the right place. So how, how closely were you working on these two stories, um, at, like in terms of reporting? Well, I, you know, I spent the time with Depp first and... Um, then I went to go see Sheridan a month or two later, but I was still kind of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, um, still going through the court documents. And, um, you know, one of the logistical things that we were dealing with at Rolling Stone is the the magazine was going from biweekly to monthly mm, and going back right. from, uh, a, you know, the normal size to its larger oversized um, paper, which was, um, you know, the way the magazine was published for the first mm-hmm you know, 40, 40 years or so. And, you know, trying to strategize what would be the best issue where, you know, where we could run it as long as we could. Uh, so they were, they were both kind of on, you know, two tracking, I guess you would say, you know, I had one on track A and one on track B and tried, you know, try to keep the deadlines and everything separate. But, um, you know, there were some days where, you know, I was reading through notes on these two very, very different experiences, one at this London mansion and this other one, uh, you know, me as an uncoordinated uh, middle-aged man trying to ride a horse with Taylor Sheridan. Um, right, and one who almost should have been, like, pancaked by your horse, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um yeah, yeah. There was, they put me. They put me in a horse to watch him do do his competition called Mister Blue Jeans, and uh, I thought I was in a very discreet corner of the corral. <laughs> and uh, one of the, the the calves that he was chasing um, 
darted right at me, and before I knew it, he had gone under Mr. Blue Jeans and came out the other side, and everybody in the barn just kind of stopped moving. And, and um, you know, Taylor told me, he's like, well, if that was a any other horse than Mr. Blue Jeans, who's a 20-year-old nag, um, you would have been either pancaked or thrown over, you know, the corral fence or something like that. And they're just, they were just... They just kept expressing to me, um, uh, you don't know how close you came to disaster. <laughs> and uh, the the funny thing is that uh, Taylor, uh, as an apology, wanted to buy me a pair of cowboy boots. But I, of course, could not take a pair of cowboy boots from him. Uh, um, but out of some uh, combination of uh, being uncomfortable and... Uh, uh, and whatever, I ended up buying the cowboy boots, so I now have a nice two hundred dollar pair of cowboy boots. <laughs> Very nice. You know, I grew up wearing cowboy boots all the time when I was a kid growing up in Ohio, and I have not worn them since I think I was eight. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, really not that comfortable unless you're actually being a cowboy. Right, right, right. Oh well, Stephen, it has been so great talking with you again. Um, uh, congratulations on the the Johnny Depp story and the ta- uh, Taylor Sheridan story. Both were fantastic. Um, both, uh, came out, uh, last week, um, Johnny Depp and Rolling Stone and Taylor Sheridan and Esquire. Uh, again, Stephen, it's been great talking with you again. Thanks for having me. I really had a good time. I've been talking with Stephen Roderick. He recently had two major celebrity profiles published at about the same time, a piece on Taylor Sheridan a writer and actor who is reshaping the American Western, which was published by Esquire, and a piece on Johnny Depp, which was published by Rolling Stone. As usual, we've linked to those stories and more of Roderick's work on our website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at gangrypodcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. You can also like the podcast on Facebook. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y podcast. Gangry the Podcast is produced in Donnarumma Studios at Fairfield University. It's made possible by the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of English at Fairfield U. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us.